Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, what's up in the world of magic with you? We have not had a chance to talk much magic this week. That's true. Well, you've been a busy, busy boy. I've been playing a lot of best of one, Ben. I have uh, been consistently in top 100 mythic. I think it peaked at number 18 this week, um, and I'm still really enjoying drafting Strixhaven. The, the drafts are... You know, sometimes interesting, sometimes a little feel bad in terms of, you know, you navigate to what you think is the open lane and then someone else to your right pivots also and then you get cut pack three. But I got to say, above everything else, the gameplay is really, really good. I I just feel like I've had some of the best games of Magic in this format. Yeah, I felt a lot of those same things. I have enjoyed the gameplay and I've enjoyed the drafts. The drafts where you have to pivot are really interesting. The ones where you just start a college and stay that college are not the most interesting, but they also feel good because, you know, you're going to end up with a busted deck. Right. Yeah, I don't know. The format is fine. Find a good to me. Yeah, the, the pivoting drafts have felt a little, I don't know, repetitive to me because I always feel like it's pivoting from a blue deck to silver quill, <laughs> like, you know, for whatever, for a pick six, humiliate for a pick seven study break. Today, I had a draft where I pivoted to silver quill in pack two off of a Rutha and double practical research which felt really bad but like you know when you see those closing statements pack two pick four or whatever i was like okay i'm gonna move in for this and and end up with a a 3-0 deck but yeah so those pivots are feel starting to feel a little exhausting i'm just like can everyone just catch up to silver quill being good so i can get my blue decks again but uh (laughs) yeah i I, you know i think the format still got staying power or whatever we're over a month deep now and i'm i'm not bored of it yet so here's the real question are you coming around to best of one being the greatest way to play magic i am not but as i've said before (laughs) i just i'm not sideboarding at all in best of three so best of three feels like best of one except i have to play against the same person two or three times in a row um just because all of my sideboarding stuff is taken up by lessons slash Doing these big pivots and having to dump like seven picks also makes it so I have very few sideboard options as well. So uh, I, I've just been playing best of one for that variety. Yeah, I hear that. I also just got to live up to that best of one Bob name, you know? <laughs> Absolutely represent. Exactly. So today, continuing on with our uh, our theme of the Strixhaven school, the colleges, whatever, we're going to be doling out some gold stars and some demerits as a way for us to frame some overperformers and underperformers as uh, Ben and I were just talking about before the show we were looking through our crash course show notes and the spreadsheet where we graded cards and where we tried to rank top cards for each college and uh and boy howdy did we miss on a couple of all stars in this format Ben 
It was pretty embarrassing going back and looking <laughs> at that spreadsheet. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. So I, I think it'll be interesting as we talk about the cards, maybe to think about reasons why we missed on some of these, maybe some takeaways for future card evaluations, all that good stuff. Um, but before we get into any and all of that, uh, we're going to do a little bit of housekeeping. First things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Uh, we got another bonus monthly episode coming up, Ben. Uh, this week, we're going to be recording an interview with the one and only Mashi scanlon the guy on the left i'm very very excited he's usually on the interviewing side of the table and i'm i'm looking forward to getting to pick his brain as someone who's been around in the content creation game behind the scenes for a long long time so that's going to be super exciting that's one of the the perks of the patreon as we unlocked that monthly bonus episode a few months ago we got that interview with death sea we did our 200th episode the hosts in the hot seat that was another bonus episode there um so that's a really awesome thing from the patreon a lot of really cool stuff everybody gets access to the lord's limited discord we talk about that each and every week as one of the best places on the internet for 24-7 limited tech support. And of course, each and every week, we're going to welcome our new patrons to the fold. So this week, we are welcoming Caleb, Stephen, Fazy, Alex, Chris, Paul, Phil, Sean, Sampo, Joel, and Gus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah. Cannot say thank you enough. And the weeks like this past week that I've had where I'm just insanely busy with school and don't get a chance to play much magic. I will say that discord just being able to pop that open for five minutes and look in on a what's the build or a what's the pick or you know Strixhaven big picture. I feel like I get a chance to stay in tune with the format so that when I come back today and stream and jam a bunch of drafts, I don't feel like I've missed out on a week of magic. And it's really, really nice. Yeah. Show is also brought to you in part now by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. And they've got big things that are coming back. The ultimate crates, baby. So you can get a bunch of different kinds of crates, which are basically just essentially giant boxes of magic swag, depending on what you're interested in. But they've got uh, Strixhaven set and collector's booster crates, Kaldheim set booster crates, Strixhaven commander crates, and Kaldheim commander crates. So any of the recent sets, you can get a lot of sweet swag. And all of those crates come with a soul ring promo, play sets of sweet full art, lightning bolts, path to exiles, you name it, plus other magic goodies. So anything that you get over at Channel Fireball, whether it's one of those crates or, you know, other sealed product or you're signing up for CFB Pro for the first time, make sure you do stuff like that. If you're interested in more content, please use code LOL, all caps, when you head over to Channel Fireball to let them know that we sent you there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dive right in. We've got a lot of show notes to go over here. But first, you've got a pretty interesting draft for us to look at as a roundtable. Yeah. So pack one, pick one. You select Lightning Bolt from your Mystical Archive primo card there. And that's, you know, pretty much you're hoping if you start with Lightning Bolt to end up Prismari, I think, but also would do fine in Lorehold Aggro. Pack one, pick two. You're moving on and you see the following cards as options. There's a Silver Coal Pledge Mage, the one Silver Coal, Silver Coal Hybrid for the 3-1 with Magecraft to gain Flying or Life Clink. There's a Leyline Invocation, 5G Sorcery, make a fractal equal to the number of lands you control. There's Intro to Prophecy as your lesson, 3 mana, Scry 2, draw a card. Eager First Year, not great options. It's a fairly <laughs> weak pack. Yeah. One and a white for a 2-2 with Magecraft gets plus 1, plus 0. There's Access Tunnel. I've been fairly impressed with that. Uh, tap out of colorless, 3 tap, target creature power, 3 or less, can't be blocked this turn. And then Master Symmetrist as well. 2GG for the 4-4 four, four with Reach. Whenever a creature control with power equal to its toughness attacks, it gains Trample until end of turn. I think Master Symmetrist is overrated. What do you think about that statement? I agree, kind of. I mean, it's very good in the Quandrix decks, but the Quandrix decks kind of want to skip four and do bigger and better things. So it's a little awkward in that respect. I mean, it's rock solid, but it's not 
crazy good. I, I'd have it more C plus right now, I think, than B minus, even though it kind of is B minus power level. It's importance to the deck is not that high. That's my feeling. Like, is it better than Professor of Zoomancy? Yes. Is it better by that much? No, I don't think so. I think people see this card and are like so excited about it. I think the double green cost is a thing also. Yes, I know that it gives the big fractals trample and that's very exciting, but I uh, I am not about this card really as as I was once was a few weeks ago. Yeah, that's how I feel as well. Yeah, this is a really weak pack. I think it's between Silver Quill Pledge Mage and Intro to Prophecy for me. I mean, Master Symmetrist is in the conversation, but it's not a great follow-up to Lightning Bolt the way that I think the Pledge Mage is just as a maybe I play Lorehold Aggro and I can play both of these cards or Silver Quill Pledge Mage is just like, as we'll talk about a little later in the episode, I think it's just one of the best threats in Silver Quill decks. So I, I think I would land on the Pledge Mage here, but I respect taking Intro to Prophecy as just a colorless lesson. Yeah, that's where I ended up on Intro to Prophecy, mostly because I just wanted to keep my options open and I'd prefer strongly to be Prismari. And I don't love the white, white on the Silver Quill Pledge Mage in Lorehold. That's a little tough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I took Intro to Prophecy here mostly because I just want to see what's open. I don't want to get committed to anything. And I know with 100% certainty, Intro to Prophecy will make my deck and it will be a good card. Agreed. All right, moving on. Pack one, pick three. You see the following cards as options. Another weak pack here. There's a Lorehold Pledge Mage, one Lorehold Lorehold Hybrid for a 2-2 first strike with Magecraft to get plus one plus O. There's Reduced to Memory as an uncommon lesson. One white, white, exile target, non-land permanent. Controller creates a 3-2 spirit creature token. That's really about it. Like, this pack is bad. There's a Basic Conjuration as our rare lesson. One GG, look at the top six, reveal a creature card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order and gain three life. But, like, our other rare is Culmination of Studies. That's pretty terrible. There's not much here. Yeah, I think Basic Conjuration is is pretty darn good. Um, and I think I would select it here, but that's mostly because I am not excited about a card like Lorehold Pledge Mage. This is one of the weaker packs I think I've ever seen. <laughs> well my good luck continues uh yeah i think you could certainly make an argument for basic conjuration again i was thinking i'd really like to play lightning bolt and i think lightning bolt is way better than basic conjuration while i like basic conjuration i think it's just worse than something like fractal summoning for example i mean they just do different things yes i'm probably grabbing fractal summoning more often on average and fractal summoning is you know more flexible given its hybrid mana cost but i i think that the comparing lessons isn't the most helpful thing because a lot of the times you do want that toolbox. I hear you. And I certainly think basic conjuration, you know, if we're trying to identify, you know, you always say we're trying to identify the best card and the card that goes best with what we have. Basic conjuration is the best card in the pack and Lorehold Pledge Mage goes best with what we have. So, right. You took basic conjuration. I ended up on Lorehold Pledge Mage. So we've now got Lightning Bolt, Intro to Prophecy and Lorehold Pledge Mage. Nice. Moving forward, see the following cards as options. Pack one, pick four. There's Spiteful Squad, two white black for the 2-2 death touch. And when it dies, you move the counters to a different creature you control. Serpentine Curve, three and a blue sorcery, make a fractal equal to one plus the number of instants and sorcery cards you own in exile and in your graveyard. Some good black in this pack. There's a Mage Hunter's Onslaught, destroy a creature or planeswalker, and whenever a creature blocks this turn, its controller loses one life. There's Hunt for Specimens, the one and a black sorcery, make a one one pest and learn. And there's also an Eliminate, one and a black instant, destroy target creature or planeswalker, mana value three or less. Holy cow, that's some sick black and then some really good green as well. There's a field trip, Tuna G, search your library for a forest and learn. 
And then Bookworm as a sweet uncommon, 7 and a green, 7-7 seven, seven trample. When it ETBs, you gain 3 and draw a card. And you can pay 2 and a green to put it from your graveyard into your library third from the top. Yeah, Lord's Limited preview card right there. Uh, I think I would just take Bookworm as the most powerful card here. You have a ton of options. These This pack is chock full of cards that are way better than we saw in the past two packs. Um, so I think it's just about taking the card you think is the most raw power level. And I think that's Bookworm for me. Yeah, that's where I ended up as well. And worth noting that maybe this is a huge Witherbloom signal. You know, pack one, pick four is about the time that you're starting to see those types of things. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on to pack five, we've got a Lightning Bolt, a Lorehold Pledge Mage, an Intro to Prophecy, and a Bookworm in our pile. See the following cards as options. There's a Pilgrim of the Ages, two and a white for a 2-1. When ETBs, you get to search your library for a Plains, put it into your hand, and you can pay six to return it from your graveyard to your hand. There's an Elemental Summoning, three Prismari Prismari Hybrid for a 4-4 uh, Elemental Token. There's also Arcane Subtraction, one in a blue instant target creature gets minus four, minus oh until end of turn, and you learn... And then a 10 the pests as a Witherbloom gold card, sack a creature, make 1-1 one, one pests equal to the sacrificed creature's power. And Mentor's Guidance, tuna blue, sorcery, scry one, draw a card, and then copy it if you control wizard, warlock, cleric, druid, shaman, or planeswalker. Yeah, I've, I've come up on those last two uncommons uh, in the past week-ish. Mentor's Guidance, specifically with Quandrix Pledge Mage as a one card that turns it into a 4-4 or adds two counters to it, whatever, wherever. You are on your Quandrix Pledge Mage growth journey. Um, and uh, <laughs> and 10 the Pest, I think, is pretty good, especially in conjunction with a card like Bookworm that can be pretty scary. Though I have uh, I have countered my fair share of 10 the Pests as well with Negates or Test of Talents, and that feels quite busted so there there is some risk to a card like that but uh i don't think either of those are my picks out of this pack i think i would just take elemental summoning as the best card in the pack and it's nice that it's so flexible in in terms of where we're at with bobbing and weaving a little bit through this draft right helps us you know we're going to be able to play it in lorehold if we end up in lorehold or you know if we're moving towards quandrix for bookworm or whatever teamer you know who knows it's going to be great so yeah Slammed Elemental Summoning here, and moving on to pack one, pick six, see the following cards as options. There's a Witherbloom Pledge Mage, three Witherbloom Witherbloom Hybrid for the 5-5 with Magecraft Gain a Life. There's Lash of Malice, black for the instant target creature gets plus two, minus two until end of turn. Guiding Voice, white for a sorcery, put a plus one, plus one counter on a creature and learn. And there's also an Enthusiastic Study. Two red instant target creature gets plus three plus one and gains trample until end of turn, and then you learn. Yeah, like what the heck is going on in this draft? We're going all over the place. So, you know, we've got the Bolt, the Pledge Mage, and the Elemental Summoning that could sort of overlap in red. Um, Bookworm is probably your best card, though maybe Lightning Bolt is your best card. I'm not sure. And then two lessons so far without any learn. Um, so I think but also this, worth noting that there are no blue cards in this pack. Sure. Yeah, I think that is worth noting. So I think this pick comes down for me between Witherbloom, Pledge Mage, and I guess Guiding Voice. Like Guiding Voice is the best card in this pack, right? I think so. But we don't have any white cards other than Lorehold, Pledge Mage, but it does give us our first learn. And then Witherbloom, Pledge Mage sort of keeps the bookworm dream alive, but I'm not sure how interested I am in keeping that dream alive. This is really tough. I mean, I know what you took here, and I hope that I would have had like the the gumption here to, <laughs> to make the same pick, but this is a hard pick to make. You've selected Guiding Voice here, and I think this is right, but I don't know if in the moment I would have been able to make this pick. It was tough, right? Because so here's where my thought process was. You know, we got the Bookworm fourth, but then we haven't seen Insane Green. Right. It was just that one pack with all the green and black cards. Right. And I don't want to be red green. 
which is like what the bulk of my cards look like they're doing right now. And Bookworm is insanely splashable, you know, if we pick up an environmental sciences or whatever, and we still want to try to put it in our deck. So to me, that's just like a good card that I have at the moment. Mm-hmm. And like picking Witherbloom Pledge Mage, to me, really gives up on Lightning Bolt. And then our curve is like super top heavy. Mm-hmm. I don't really like that spot either. And then Lash is really appealing, but again, doesn't go with any of our red cards. So that's kind of awkward. So I thought Guiding Voice went the best with a lot of the low CMC stuff that I had um, and was going to give me my first learn card, what you said there. Yeah, and it lets you take what I think is the best card out of this pack, which is a great spot to be in too. Yep. All right, moving on to pack one, pick seven, more rough packs. There's two campuses here, Silver Quill and Lorehold. There's a Stone Rise Spirit, one and a white for the one-two flyer, and you can pay four exile a card from your graveyard to jump a creature into the air. There's also a Pest Summoning, one... Witherbloom, Witherbloom for the lesson to make two pest tokens. And that's really about it. There's like a beaming defiance. Not a lot exciting here. Yeah. I mean, I guess you just take Stone Rise Spirit to follow up the guiding voice with. Yeah, that's what I felt. I was happy with the the white flyer. And I think, you know, when you're leaning aggressive, you really want to try to get deep into white so you can pivot between Lorehold and Silverquill. And I think it is a, a pretty natural follow up to guiding voice. So now we're starting to look like we've got a fairly good lore hold start. You know, we've got Bolt, Voice, Pledge Mage, Stone Ride Spirit, and then a couple good lessons in Elemental Summoning and Intro to Prophecy. Mm-hmm. Pack eight, see the following cards as options. There's another Silver Quill Campus, another Pest Summoning. Uh, Eureka Moment as a pretty exciting card. Two blue green, instant draw two, and you can put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. And then there's also an Arcane Subtraction. One in a blue instant target creature gets minus four, minus O until end of turn, and you learn. You got to shout out the last card here too, because I think that's what I would take here. Is it? Wow. Clever Lumamancer also in the pack. White for the O1 with Magecraft, and it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I think that we've seen a little bit of white. I'm sort of at a point now where I kind of just want to get out of pack one as white as possible and then figure out if I'm going to pair it with red or maybe black if that flows at some point. I, I, we just haven't seen blue. And I don't know if you're like Eureka moment. This is where I expect to see it. This is not like a signal in my mind. Like that's where I think the Quandrix drafter should be taking a Eureka moment. And Arcane Subtraction is good. It's the best card in this pack probably. But what is the world where we take subtraction and then we just have to give up on so many picks and i don't think subtraction is powerful enough or signposty enough to make me want to take it here well so here's here's my thought in in defense of arcane subtraction uh-huh. i think you're you're abandoning voice and spirit uh-huh. but you could play lightning bolt subtraction pledge mage elemental summoning and then splash a bookworm in a prismari base you know teamer deck i don't think that's crazy at this point And I have not loved Clever Lumamancer outside of like pretty dedicated decks that are trying to combo off with it. Oh, I don't know. I think Lumamancer is pretty easy to make work as long as you have learned lesson, like you need, you know, a handful of guiding voices slash study breaks. But uh, aside from that, like then you just need to have lessons to go get. And it's not hard to make this a two, three or greater. Yeah, I think that's probably true. So that's what I would take for my two cents. And that's probably a a sort of preview for a card that I think gets a gold star for me. Yeah, no, I agree. It's a good card. Um, So I ended up on Arcane Subtraction here over the Lumamancer. And then pack one, pick nine. We're on the wheel now. I see the following cards as options. There's a Spectre of the Fens, three and a black, two, three flyer. And you can pay six to have target opponent lose two life and you gain two. And nothing else really in competition with that. I mean, there's a Curate chill in here, a Biblioplex assistant, but a lot of white and black cards, just period. So there's a Professor's Warning, an Exhilarating Elocution, 
crushing disappointment and a fracture still in the pack. Yeah, I mean, that is a density of cards, but not necessarily a quality of cards. But Spectre of the Fens is quite strong and is far and away the best card here. I don't know, I might I might be tempted to take Biblioplex Assistant incorrectly just as a card that can make my deck um, just because we don't have a black card yet. But, I, I, you know, the way you've navigated this draft of just like, I'm going to just take what I think is the best card out of each pack and see what happens later on, I think is totally reasonable. Well, and some of that is just because we haven't gotten the ability to get in a lane, really. Like, I've taken the best cards, and our cards are not great. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we don't have a stellar suite of cards. Uh, pack one, pick 10. We pick up an eager first year, and that sort of locks me into, okay, I'm going to be some sort of white aggressive deck. And then pick 12, pick up a spiteful squad, and really just get hooked up the rest of the draft um, with Silver Quill being open. Uh, pack two, pick one, pick a Killian, and that sort of solidifies me into Silver Quill. And then I just want to read you for some sick brags here what happened in pack three. Pack three, pick one, we take a Spectre of the Fens, followed by Killian into Humiliate, into Professor of Symbology, into Killian, into Guiding Voice, into Humiliate into humiliate it was just the most absurd sequence of cards yeah i was looking at this draft log right before we started just to see what we were getting ourselves into and at the end of pack one i was like wow what a mess and then i clicked on the deck and i was like holy (laughs) business triple guiding voice triple killian quadruple humiliate mage hunters onslaught rise of exodus like yeah this deck is absolutely nuts yep pretty sweet yeah so i mean i think that's a really I think that's a unique draft. I've not seen a lot of drafts like that with like low power level. But what you did in terms of leaving yourself open to, okay, nothing powerful is happening. I don't want to lock in yet. I'm going to hope that I get the powerful things later. And you definitely did. Yep. Just wanted to make sure I found the open college and got, you know, I think rewarded way above expectations for finding the open college, but definitely did work. Okay, so let's get into these lists here. Uh, So first up, we're going to talk about gold stars. We're going to be doling out some gold stars here to cards that have overperformed our expectations. I'm really excited that we're calling this gold stars. You know, as a teacher, people getting stickers, people still want stickers, even in 2021. Stickers are good motivators. Now more than ever do we need stickers, Ben. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to get us through these dark times. Um, so we've got you know a bunch of individual cards to look at, but I also wanted to sort of group together things that we've talked about or hinted at. And the first thing here, you know, we devoted a whole episode last week to learn lesson. So basically anything that says learn on it or anything that is a lesson, I think gets a gold star. But I wanted to shout out some specifics that we uh, maybe missed on initially or that have risen in our estimation over the weeks. And the first step here, I think, is Rise of Exodus. This is the four and two black-white hybrid for the Exodus exile a creature, exile an instant or sorcery from a graveyard, and then learn. You know, this was just off of everybody's radar, I think, at the start of the format or or in the in the initial weeks leading up to the format of this is just clunky six mana removal. And I think that's partially because we didn't understand how powerful learn lesson was, but also just like didn't understand how backbreaking a card like this can feel. Yeah, it's really strong. Although I vaguely do remember us saying like, you know, we're not high on this card, but it wouldn't be shocking if it were really good because it's a guaranteed two for one, right? We did note that about the card, I think, in preview season or early on. I vaguely remember having those feelings about it. Mm -hmm. But since then, it has solidified that and skyrocketed. And I think this is one of the better commons in the set, certainly top 10 and maybe even top five. Agreed. Cram session is up next. That's the uh, learn card, gain for life. This just does so many things so well. And I think, you know, in 
preview season, we shortcut learn to draw a card, right? Like instead of saying, you know, this would normally be gain for life, draw a card, or arcane subtraction would be minus four minus oh, draw a card. And it's just so much more than that. It's draw one of seven specific cards that you can tailor based on what you need in the game state, which is just infinitely more powerful than draw a card. Right. And I do think, you know, that like the bump of for life is a, is a little bit different than revitalize, you know, revitalize being a mystical archive card in the set as well as a comparison. Um, it does sort of do a two droppy thing and that, you know, you can, it does sort of negate two hits from a two, two or whatever. And I think the fact that environmental sciences exists, all of the cheap learn spells or the reliable cheap learn spells that you can cast on to get bumped up because they let you keep two land hands. Yeah. I've even been mulling about first day of class, Ben, which is the one in red instant. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control this turn, put a plus and plus one counter on it and it gains haste. You know, we said last week that this was like the only learn spell that we were hoping to not play. But even since then, I've been just thinking about it. All right, well, what if I don't think about it like a two drop? And what if it's a five drop? And now all of a sudden my inkling summoning token is a three, two flyer with haste or my spirit summoning is a four, three with haste. And that's like not bad as a card in terms of flexibility. And maybe you get to seven mana. And now your elemental summoning token is a five, five with haste. Like that's not that bad. If you just put it higher up on your curve, I don't think it's a priority, but I also think this is playable too. I think it's playable, but it doesn't have the learn lesson thing of card advantage, right? Then you spent two draft picks to make a slightly overcosted haste creature. Correct. So I don't love it. I certainly think it is the worst, but if you don't have learn and you need ways to go get the lessons that you drafted, I think you can play first day of class for sure. Yeah. Next up is enthusiastic study. This is one that's really impressed me the last week or so. Uh, two in a red, learn, target creature gets plus three, plus one, and trample. I think this is the thing that is awesome in Lorehold aggro. And I think, you know, if you're drafting Lorehold, you want as many enthusiastic studies as you can get your hands on. And I think it is a card that makes that deck tick. Yeah, Ben coming off of his Lorehold aggro article for CFP Pro, all hot about enthusiastic study. Heck yeah. All right, next up, we've got basically anything with Magecraft, but I wanted to hit on some specifics, but I also wanted to acknowledge that I missed really hard on this, as I often do with headliner mechanics, um, but missed really hard on how easy this was going to be. And I think that's partially because of Learn Lesson. Like, I knew that lessons were going to be high picks. I knew that Learn Lesson was going to be really sweet, but then I didn't piece together, oh, that gives you a spell that finds you a spell. So that's two times that you're triggering Magecraft, which I think you did get, right? Like one of your, I think your top Silver Quill common was Silver Quill Pledge Mage. And I was like, ah, this card isn't going to be that good. And spoiler alert, that is on our list of gold stars here. Yeah, for sure. So uh, the first up is two cards near and dear to my heart, Prismari Apprentice and Symmetry Sage, which I think are, I, I think Prismari Apprentice specifically is the crux of the best blue-red decks. I think people are drafting prismari incorrectly it is it's weird to see like what decks are jiving with certain different people right like prismari is my most drafted color pair and my most successful color pair and i think that's partially because i'm not often doing the big spell thing um unless i have rutha of course but i think like prismari apprentice symmetry sage and prismari pledge mage backed up by some tempo or flyers or removal or whatever that's going to get the job done real quick so um i like both of those cards a lot and it's really easy 
to consistently trigger Magecraft for them. Yeah. So how highly are you picking Symmetry Sage? Talk to me about that. I, I don't think I need to pick it that highly. Like I'm not taking it until I've got probably an apprentice at least, or maybe a couple pledge mages. Once I start feeling like I'm going down that road of the Tempo Agro Prismari deck, then I'm thrilled to snap up whatever Symmetry Sages I can get. But you can often get them on the wheel because I don't think anybody else wants them. Right. So next up on the Magecraft Gold Stars is Silver Quill Pledge Mage. That's the one we saw in our round table. Um, but the 3-1 that can get Flying or Lifelink the fact that this is also still great in Lorehold, I mean, it's a little hard to cast at times, but to me, the format right now is, you know, teamer decks, whether you're base Prismari or base Quandrix, and then there's white aggressive decks, you know, and I think Lorehold, whatever, Millier, Graveyard, Exile, Make Spirits is just not a thing. It's just not a real deck. So if you're white, you're aggro, hoping to be Silver Quill, but you can also draft Lorehold aggro. And then there's just like Witherbloom as this awkward <laughs> other thing hanging around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe that's not fair to Witherbloom. Like it's obviously a playable and draftable deck, but it just doesn't jive well. And it's difficult to pivot into or out of and also not that good. So it's just high risk for not super high reward. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the fact that Silver Cool Pledge Mage goes well in both white aggressive decks is a huge nod to it. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like it's a must deal with threat, which is why I think it's so high in the Silver Quill pick order, because every time it hits the battlefield, I feel like I need to deal with it because you can't race it, right? Like you feel like you need to leave back blockers because you can't race it. But then your opponent's like, fine, you left back blockers. I'll just give it flying instead. And now you can't race it anyway, because like, what are you supposed to do about that? Like the the modality of it and how easy it is to trigger, I just think makes it such a potent threat. Yeah, in the mirrors, in the aggro mirrors, you're giving it lifelink. And then against your Prismari and Quandrix opponents that are leaving back blockers, you're giving it flying. Yeah. Next up, we've got Witherbloom Apprentice. That's black green for the 2-2 with Magecraft. Uh, You gain a life and your opponent loses a life. This is just the signpost for Witherbloom decks. Now, I'm also not super pumped to move into Witherbloom for a card like this, but I will over a card like Dina because of how much of an engine this is for the Witherbloom decks. That consistent and repeatable source of life gain and then also drain is really strong. Yeah, I've been very impressed with Witherbloom Apprentice. Quandrix Apprentice up next is also just absurd, right? I mean, I think from the get-go, we recognize that this was powerful, But the amount of times that you can trigger this, this just means you hit every land drop for the rest of the game, I think, most of the time when you cast it. Yeah. I mean, this is so easy to trigger as well. And when you see it on turn two, if you don't kill it, like, you know, it's just going to start drawing your opponent lands. And that's what the Quandrix deck wants. Like, it wants to just never miss land drops. Next up, we've got Quandrix Pledge Mage. Oh, my goodness. This is Spellgorger weird on steroids because it's got a more flexible mana cost, but also because of how much spells are prevalent. Like usually it's like spell gorger weird is a secret blue red card, right? Because that's where the spells matter deck is. Well, every color pair can do spells matter. Every color pair has magecraft in this set and pledge mage gets out of hand in a hurry. So question for you, I have not liked Quandrix pledge mage much outside of Quandrix specifically because it's hard to cast in Prismari and Witherbloom. And when it doesn't come down on turn three, it has felt significantly less good to me. Thoughts on that? I, I don't agree. That, those okay. are my, th- my thoughts are I don't agree. And this is why I don't agree. <laughs> because I think Quandrix Pledge Mage is a game plan in and of itself. And so if you get a couple of these or three or whatever, then even in your Prismari deck, then just, just slant heavier blue. Go 
10-7 or 11-7 or whatever in your mana base so that you can consistently cast it on three. Or this is not that bad to go, okay, on turn five, I'm going to cast this and then a spell to trigger it, you know, just get it out of range of shock or lash of malice or whatever. And then, you know, grow it on future turns. I don't think this has to come down on turn three to be powerful. And I also don't think it's that hard for it to come down on turn three outside of Quandrix decks. All right, fair. And last on this list here is Clever Lumamancer. You know, I've, I've come I've come a far way from giving this an F initially, Ben, <laughs> in our crash course. And again, this is just off the back of Learn Lesson being so good, White Aggressive decks being so good. Um, this is not that hard to consistently trigger, as you said, and you know, so there are some decks that where you end up with like 15 creatures and this is not good, but some decks where you end up with like 10 creatures and a bunch of learn lesson and Lumamancer is really powerful. Yeah, I agree. Next up is Barry in books. We missed pretty hard on this card. And then even in the first few days of the format, you know, there were a lot of people that were saying, oh, Barry in books is busted. And I think we kind of poo-pooed it a little bit saying that it was, you know, good, not great, that sort of thing. And I think it is actually just great. Yeah, it's the best common in the set behind environmental sciences in my mind. And it this is the, the poster child for, you know, we always talk about a great way to evaluate cards is like, what cards are you getting beaten by? And I think it was just three days in a row in like week two, where I was like, every time this card is cast against me, it's completely backbreaking. Every time my opponent passes with two mana up, including an island, I feel like I can't attack. It's a really powerful card. I think now I feel a little bit better in terms of playing around those situations or deciding when I'm interested in attacking into it or when I'm trying to like light my opponent's mana on fire or whatever. But uh, yeah, Burying Books is fantastic next up we've got serpentine curve this gets a gold star from me where it initially was rated i do think it's probably being overrated by some but in the right deck it like is your game plan i want to talk to you ben about the sam black demir deck have you gotten a chance to draft this or see this deck i have seen the deck i have not drafted it myself yet oh my goodness it's real. It's very powerful and it's real. I would very much uh, encourage people to listen to his episode of his podcast, Drafting Archetypes for the Demir deck outline. It makes a ton of sense. It like totally exists at common um, and Serpentine Curve is one of the big win cons of that deck. Yeah. And I think a lot of people initially evaluating this card, myself included, missed that it essentially counts itself because you get one plus the number of spells in your graveyard or in exile. So really, you only need two other spells before it's a hill giant, which is not like the best thing in the world, but it's also not the worst thing in the world. Like a hill giant that is a spell in this format is, you know, synergistic. And then it's really not hard to get it into the four, five, six territory. And it allows you to double spell late in the game. It just does a lot of things. And it's sort of in the right deck, like a B power level, but you really have to have it in the right deck. And I think, I don't know, it's, this is one of the cards where, you're willing to first pick it, you know, in pack two, depending on what kind of a start you've had to your draft or like, you know, sometimes it wheels and I don't think it's crazy that it wheels, you know, it's just a card where its power level varies drastically based on the other cards you have around it in your pile. Yeah, but I think initially looked sort of fillerish or too niche or whatever. And it's it's definitely better than that. Oh, yeah, way better. Next up, we've got Spectre of the Fens slash Combat Professor. Honestly, these two cards being grouped together is maybe a little offensive to Combat Professor. Yeah, that's fair. It's not offensive. Spectre of the Fens is very good. Spectre of the Fens is very good. Combat Professor is insanely good, though. So yes. Combat Professor, I think, is the best card for white aggressive decks. 
And neither of us had it in our top five lists for either college, I don't think, for Lord or Silverquill when we did the crash course. But the fact that this just comes down and enables an attack the turn it comes down is huge. And then it also is just impossible to race because it grants vigilance then later in the game. Just does everything you'd want. But Spectre of the Fens has been very impressive as well. Both of them feel like must answer threats. Yeah, like Combat Professor more immediately, but then Spectre of the Fens, I'm like, okay, you're at five mana. Okay, now you're at six mana. Now this thing has to die. Like, I just can't let this stick around. Yep. Elemental Masterpiece. This was super underrated by me early in the format. I remember people making arguments about this or like comparing it, you know, as the seven mana Prismari spell to Creative Outburst. Uh, And I would be like, oh my God, no contest. I want the deal five draw card spell over the make two four fours. And now it's reversed so hard for me like i don't care about creative outburst almost at all and i love elemental masterpiece it's so splashable it's a great finisher for any deck it's a very good card big huge gold star for me for elemental masterpiece love it i feel similarly spiteful squad is up next i think this is another one that just looked bad to me like four mana for a two two in what's supposed to be an aggressive color pair it just didn't seem like it did what you wanted to do. But the truth is, Spiteful Squad is kind of like moat, right? Like your opponent just can't <laughs> attack you on the, the ground. The takes. The takes are here. Oh, it, is. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's similar to that, right? Like they're disincentivized from attacking you on the ground. And then you get to move the counters onto, you know, a combat professor, heaven forbid. And then it's a 5-5 five, five vigilance on attacks and a 4-5 on blocks. It just causes a lot of problems. And I think... It is aggressive also in the sense that you can attack in for two and your opponents don't want to block it for the same reason as that you're going to turn something into a four or five flyer, right? Yeah. Like your opponent needs to be able to trade with this and then have an answer for whatever you're going to put the counters on before they feel good about trading with it. I, I really like Spiteful Squad quite a bit. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, what I thought this card was going to do was like hold the ground while you attacked in the air or whatever uh, as an aggressive deck. But as you said, like, It also serves the role of you got your opponent down to eight. They quote unquote stabilized. And now you're like, all right, I attack with Spiteful Squad. What are you going to do? You're going to trade with something. And now one of my other creatures is way too tough for you to deal with. And so it feels like there's this timing game when you're facing Spiteful Squad where you're like, I have to hold up my removal spell. So when they go to target the creature to put the counters on it, I can kill it in response before it gets too big. Like it's this whole mini game thing that happens. I think the card really does sort of warp a lot of games around it. Infuse with Vitality is next here. So this is the black-green combat trick. You gain two life, the creature gains death touch, and when it dies, it comes back into play tapped. And we've seen variants of effects like these, and, you know, they're they're usually, they're playable or whatever. But I think this is actually a pretty big overperformer in terms of Witherbloom's commons. And Menace really pushes this card over the top, you know, with a card like Blood Researcher. Sure, you know, the card then dies and you reset the counters. But your opponent's like so incentivized to try and double block that thing to kill it, that then giving it death touch to a Menace creature to just kill both things, then you get it back triggers other life gain synergies, etc. I, I think Infuse is quite good. Yeah, I've not seen that one much, so I will be on the lookout for that. Next up is Wither Bloom Pledge Mage. This is the 5-5 five, five when you gain a life with Magecraft. This card is just gigantic, and really like the magic number in the format is kind of 4 because of all the elemental summonings and heated debate, dealing 4, that sort of thing. And this being a 5-5 five, five is just a brick wall. Card yeah. is great. Agreed. Next up is Biblioplex Assistant. Uh, Instants and sorceries being so good and plentiful and this being colorless 
and it being just a little evasive threat to one, I think this makes it look a lot better than the D plus that I think a lot of people probably wrote it off as. Well, and the other thing is when you're rebuying a card with learn, you're yeah. sort of rebuying two spells, right? Like if you're rebuying a spell that is a two for one, that's awesome, right? So if you cast Igneous Inspiration, kill something, get a lesson, and then Biblioplex Assistant, rebuy your Igneous Inspiration and do it again. It's just backbreaking. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the power level of the spells also makes this better than it looks. Right, for sure. Next up is Twin Scroll Shaman. This is two in a red for the one two with double strike. This card is scary. I mean, if if you have this or your opponent has it, whoever has it is just threatening to push so much damage with a card like Enthusiastic Study or, you know, even a Guiding Voice. And then all of your learn cards can go get Expanded Anatomy. And once you put Expanded Anatomy on this, it's a 3-4 double strike, which is a huge threat. I think this is a huge piece of the Lorehold aggro decks, and I think it it makes that archetype kind of sing. Yeah, the, the the dream curve of like Thunderous Orator on two into Twin Scroll Shaman. Now your order attacks as a Vigilant Double Striker. And then like Combat Professor on four to pump the Twin Scroll Shaman or whatever. That's not a ridiculous curve to imagine. And it's really powerful. There's a ton of ways to consistently pump the Shaman. And I think it looks like a little innocuous. And I think it's quite a potent threat. Yep. We've talked a lot about Test of Talents and Negate previously. But like Test of Talents specifically, holy cow, grabbing multiple copies of something. The other day, I countered a closing statement and then grabbed a closing (laughs) statement out of their hand and their library. And that just felt disgusting. That's great. I have buried something in books. And then right before they draw it, you test a talent something and force a shuffle. So you just like get that thing gone. Uh, You can see their whole hand and library. And that's really powerful. So you just get to know like what's coming up out of their hand. What are the remaining threats left in their deck? Test of talents, huge gold star. Yeah. I mean, how much how many percentage points do you think? Like whatever, say you're 60% to win a match, like in general, how many percentage points do you think you gain knowing your opponent's deck list? Like two or three at least, probably? Yeah, I mean, the deck list is way less important than knowing their hand. The, the knowing the hand part is a ton of percentage points, right? But yeah, knowing yeah. their deck list, you know, just knowing that like, okay, here are the three things left, especially like later on in the game, the fewer things they have. And so you do really get to know like, all right, you know, if you're far ahead, what are the things they could draw that would make me not be far ahead? If, if you see some wraths coming up or whatever, that's a big game. So it depends on the contents of the deck. But yeah, it, it adds percentage points for sure. Next up is Ether Helix. This is the rebuy a permanent from your graveyard and then target player returns a permanent to its owner's hand. This is, I think, a good card. And the fact that this can kill fractals or elemental summoning tokens makes it more desirable than it would be otherwise. There's a bit of tension because you do have to have a permanent yeah. target in your graveyard to be able to cast it. And a lot of the Quandrix decks, you know, are sometimes only running seven, eight creatures, something like that. But if you have... A reasonable expectation that you're going to get a permanent into your graveyard. Ether Helix is a very powerful card. We got to talk about this next card. Probably the inspiration for this episode for me, Reflective Golem. This card is so insanely good. This is the colorless 2-3 at Uncommon. Um, whenever you cast a spell that targets only Reflective Golem, you can pay two to copy it and then choose new targets for the copy. Boy, howdy, is this card an overperformer? Yeah, card is insane. Just the fact that Expanded Anatomy is a lesson is so good. And then there's also Guiding Voice, Study Break, Enthusiastic Study. Like, there's so many things that you want to copy. I think it's at its best, actually, in Lorehold, 
but also does serious, serious work in Silver Quill. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, so someone asked me the other day, they're like, when do you want to play this card? And I was like, if I have expanded anatomy and three or more learn spells, that's it. I'm thrilled to play Reflective Golem in a deck like that. So we should talk about copying spells with the Golem if people have not done this, especially spells with uh, modality or, or you know potential modes. So something like Study Break, if you want to copy Study Break, you target the Golem with the first copy, then you pay two to copy it, but then you'll only get to tap one creature with the copy of Study Break. This is similar for copying like an Electrolyze. You know, if you want to copy Electrolyze, like deal two damage to your Reflective Golem then copy it, you will only be able to deal two damage to one target with the copy. Yes, the modes that you selected are imprinted onto the copy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I've copied Electrolyze with Rutha before doing one and one. The copy then has to deal one and one to two targets. So just, just keep that in mind. But again, Reflective Golem, super, super powerful. A lot of like really niche interactions. I just had a, a Silver Quill deck today, the one that I, I talked about uh, pivoting into. I uh, had three Reflective Golems in the deck and it was incredible. So good. Wow. All right. Next up is Snow Day. This is the four blue blue instant tap two target creatures. They don't untap during their controller's untap step, and then you get to draw two cards, discard a card. This card has been insane every single time I've cast it and my opponents have cast it. It's just so much tempo. And the flexibility of it being instant speed to either be able to do it, you know, on your opponent's upkeep, or, you know, maybe they've already made an attack and then you get to tap down whatever blockers they had left on their end step. It just is so much tempo and it frequently ends games. Right. It ranges from win the game on the spot to buy you two whole turns slash, you know, draw two, discard a card. But at that point, it's usually draw two, discard a land. It's a very powerful top end spell. I need you to talk to me about this next card. Yeah. Next up, we've got Ardent Dust Speaker. This is the four and a red three, four. And whenever it attacks, you exile the top two of your library and you get to uh, cast them that turn. And to do that, you have to put an instant or sorcery from your graveyard on the bottom of your library. Every time this hits the battlefield, it's just kind of a problem. You know, you don't want your opponent to be able to attack with it. So you kind of want to use a removal spell on it. But even if they do get the attack, if you're trading with it, they're getting two potential cards to draw. I think it's very good in lore hold as a curve topper in your aggro decks because you're already incentivized to play a lot of combat tricks there and then your opponent is also incentivized to try to trade with this on blocks because they don't want it to be able to attack over multiple turns so i think it just performs well in lore hold and you kind of think it looks like a prismari card but i think if you're just putting in your red white aggro decks it'll do some work for you yeah last up on our gold star list is leyline invocation you know i would have thought that this was just total filler even like you know near unplayable i don't know like replacement level card but it really is somewhere between honey mammoth or ravenous lindworm in terms of power level it's got so much synergy uh with you know fractally stuff or spells matter right magecraft stuff copying it with a card like rutha you know it scales well with the game it allows you to double spell later while still like getting that large body it's it's really good can confirm opponents copying it with rutha is pretty good <laughs> so, uh, i'm not we'll... salty at all you're salty yeah no for sure watch our watch our showdown video if you want to if you want to know what that's all about <laughs> all right so round of applause there for all of our gold star recipients and now on to the bad kids in class, Ben, the demerits, cards that have underperformed our expectations. What's first up here? Frost Trickster. This is kind of an odd one to have on this list, but it's just not really good in the format. It just doesn't have a great home. Its best home is the Prismari aggro decks, but that's such a narrow thing for it to really be a top blue common or something, you know? Yeah, which is just 
weird, right? It's just one power and toughness less than a Chillbringer. And obviously, like comparing cards from a format to another format is really not helpful because it's all about context. So yeah, I came in hot, thought Frost Trickster was going to be the best common in the set, and it's not even remotely close. Next up is Vortex Runner, another card that I thought was going to matter a lot. You know, I was super hot on Vortex Runner and Scurred Colony as these common payoffs for getting to eight lands. Um, You know, it's fine and you can play it and I have, you know, one with it. I have faced it down and felt like I needed to remove it because it was threatening my life total. But the comparisons to Frost Jetty from Call Time were pretty apt, and I think that makes it replacement level. Yeah, and I think Scurried Colony might honestly be gold star worthy. It's significantly better than Vortex Runner, right? Well, yeah, but so it's better than Vortex Runner, but like I was hot on Scurred Colony initially, so I feel like I can't give it a gold star because I'm just like, I thought this was good, <laughs> and it is good. Right, sure. Lash of Malice is up next. That's the single black for the plus two minus two. This is closer to Frostbite than anything else. It's a good card. I think you always want one copy in your black decks. Maybe you'll play the second copy, but that's about it. Yeah, and it's not a card that I'm ever like when I end a draft, I'm never like, oh, dang, I didn't get a Lash of Malice. Like, it's good, not great. Bayou Groff, man, was I hot on this card. I was really thinking that like turn one unwilling ingredient into turn two Bayou Groff was just going to be insane and really reliable and doable. Turn two Groffs are hard to come by. And then even if you get them, and I'm not even sure I've ever seen one, but even if you get them, they fold to Barian books so hard that this is just not worth it. Yeah, it's funny. The college that we were the highest on, which was Witherbloom coming into it, I think has ended up just largely being the worst by a significant margin. I still don't feel confident in what Witherbloom is trying to do. I know it's not Damagoth Woe Eater, but I don't really know what it's trying to do. That's because there's so many things and none of them are good like there's so many things that it's trying to do and none of them are competing with the streamlined focus of the aggro decks or just the raw power of the teamer decks i left this next card off of my top uh five commons list for i think either green college and you told me this could be a seraph's packmate kind of error yeah i was wrong by <laughs> quite a bit this is professor of zoomancy the good prof the four three plus the one one it's good not great i the fact that this is a four drop just makes it a little awkward But I think, you know, in Quandrix, it's just not an impactful enough card. You just want to skip this and go to bigger and better things. Mm -hmm. And it does have a home in Witherbloom. And I think it is a good card in Witherbloom. But again, Witherbloom's not great. Ergo, this is not great. Speaking of, we've got Pest Summoning up next. We really thought like, you know, hunt for specimens into Pest Summoning into some sort of four drop like a Damagoth Woe Eater or the Titan that's just not impactful enough. All those one ones don't matter enough. You know, pest summoning probably ended up being the worst or second worst common lesson. Now, not to say that it's not a card you're happy to have in your toolbox and that sometimes it's the thing you want, but it's often the thing you want to buy you some time to like get you a couple chump blocks, that sort of thing. Yes, that's how I've used it more often than not. Kelpie Guide is up next. This is two and a blue for the two, two, and you can tap it to untap a permanent. And then you can also, when you have eight or more lands on the battlefield, tap it to tap target non-land permanent. No, just any permanent. You can also tap down your opponent's lands. Oh, yeah. Um, But more often than not, this feels just like a ramp card that's pretty fragile. If you do get to eight lands, it is a must answer threat. But along the way, the body is just so inconsequential. Yeah, I mean, if you've got field trips and Eureka moments, I think this is good. But I, I really view it as a Quandrix Gold card and even only a Quandrix Gold card in those specific kinds of decks. 
Next up, we got iTwitch. I was so hot on this card, and it's really fallen from grace for me. And I feel like this might be controversial based on some conversations I've seen around this card on Twitter. But outside of super aggressive decks, this again, like the 1 1 body feels like it's too unimpactful. And the fact that you can't learn when you want to, unless you're going to chump block with it, in which case, like it's not doing the thing that Learn Lesson is so powerful at doing, which is providing two actual cards of value for you. I'm pretty low on this card these days. Yep, I agree. Up next, we've got Explosive Welcome and Creative Outburst. These are both like essentially very expensive deal fives. And I think if your seven or eight mana removal spell can't deal with a 6-6 Fractal, which is a commonly sized Fractal in the format, it's a pretty big problem. Yeah, I'm so low on these cards. And I think that's part of why I'm so low on the big spell version of Prismari. Like, I think that's why Prismari is much better as an aggressive tempo deck. These spells are just too clunky. And speaking of clunky, Damagoth Woe Eater, we've already sort of shamed it. <laughs> but I, I cannot tell you how many unwinnable games I have won because my opponent just goes, cool, I'll edict myself four times. Like, <laughs> I don't get it. I'm just like, I think its best mode is as a fog and then you just sack it the next turn to like make your opponent discard. You draw a card and gain two. I think, I obviously like... These are situations where my opponents are not playing optimally with the card, but I think that's part of what makes this card so bad is that it's so trappy and it's so hard to know how to play with it. Um, and I just don't think it's what the Witherbloom decks are trying to do. It does do work with 10 the pests. I think that is its best mode. Yeah. Making two bad cards to make your bad cards better. Except I don't think 10 the pests is a bad card. I agree. I agree. As I so said before. I don't think that's fair. Next up is Dina Soul Seeper. Uh, we were, again, super hot on Dina. And I just, the body is super inconsequential and you just don't get the triggers as often as you would like to get the triggers. There isn't a sacrifice deck. I mean, I think all of the things we're talking about are making me think like, obviously, I think the best Witherbloom decks are aggressive where, you know, the the drain from Dina is relevant. And then also the fact that then eventually Dina becomes a threat in and of herself. Like if you're at five and you're attacking with this and a Professor of Zumancy, well, now you have to block both of these things, right? Because Dina can just sack the prof and then lethal you. So I do think Dina has a home, but it's just so narrow. And it's just really not even close to how good I think Witherbloom Apprentice is. Yes. All right. Rip the deck that we thought we were going to get to draft in this format, Ben. Um, so we've got Lorehold Excavation slash Quintorius slash all the trinkety red, white graveyard stuff. The slow lore hold decks are just a huge trap. Once you're not aggressive, you can't really compete with the blue decks in this format in the slightest. Like I have had so many red, white grindy decks that I've thought looked good. You know, Pilgrim of the Ages, Returned, Past Caller. I'm going to do some stuff. And then you just get outcarded really fast by blue decks casting Practical Research or Eureka Moment or using Burying Books, etc. You, you just can't compete. Well, and you're also getting run over by the aggro decks. You, just right, don't, right. you don't win against anything. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's rough. We were also pretty hot on Team Pennant and Zephyr Boots coming in. Maybe just like some uh, holdover from how busted the equipment was in call time. And then, you know, these getting the uncommon rarity. They're good. But the fact that they're non-creatures that don't trigger Magecraft is just a pretty big drawback. A lot of times I've just felt that they are not worth the card. 
Yeah, the, the most often times I've run them is when I've pivoted late to a different college and I'm scrapping for playables. And I go, okay, I can play this, right? Like if I've got good learn lesson package or whatever, or I'm making some pests from a bunch of hunts, then like I'll play a team pennant or, you know, Zephyr Boots as a 22nd, 23rd card in my aggro decks. That's fine, but that's a far cry from where we were. Right. Well, and we were thinking, you know, you're going to have a 1010 flying fractal. That'll be awesome. Or you'll have a 1010 trample fractal. That'll be awesome. But turns out a 1010 fractal <laughs> is enough just... to get the job done on its own. Right. That's just a good card. Exactly. We got Star Pupil up next. Man, were we trying to make this thing work? We were pretty hot on this during spoiler season. It just quickly became clear that this was not what Silver Quill was about. Again, all of this trinkety, combo-y, go-tall stuff. I'm going to say again, the phrase that I keep saying, it folds to Baryon books. Like if you're doing any sort of star pupil into essence infusion, you just get wrecked by the best common in the set. Yep. Brackish Trudge is up next. This is the two black four two that comes into play tapped. And the fact that it comes into play tapped is just a huge deal breaker. It looked like such a premium card. You know what Witherbloom wanted to do as far yeah. as recur and grind, you know, gain some life, bring this back. But you're just so far behind by the time that you play this on three take a hit, it untaps, you trade, and then like it's a while before you spend a turn, you know, casting something to gain life and then rebuy it. And then you cast it and it's still tapped. It, you know, we've, t- we've said the clunky word. Clunky is my favorite insult for a magic card. And this is super clunky. Grinning Ignis is next. Now, Mystical Archive Storm cards aside, I think we thought this was like a great way to ramp into seven and eight mana spells, but the body is too irrelevant. It again feels like a trinkety, like it's just worse than Letter of Acceptance, right? I compare Kelpie Guide and Grinning Ignis to Letter of Acceptance as ramp spells. And when I think about it that way, it's just like, wow, this is really not getting the job done. Yeah, I think you should almost never put it in your deck. Yeah. Biomathematician, speaking of cards that eh, that's probably not fair categorization that you should almost never put this in your deck, but it significantly underperforms what we would have thought, right? 2-2 plus a 1-1 is a good card and limited as just a general rule of thumb, but it's just way too small ball for Quandrix. Quandrix wants to field trip on turn three or cultivate on turn three and just totally skip this part of the curve to go to, you know, the five, six, seven CMC haymakers. And I think, you know, you can play okay defense with it, but even then it's just too... Too low ball, too small ball. Yeah, and you would think, oh, but what if you have multiples of them? That might be good. Well, I can attest. I had a deck with five of them earlier this week, and it was garbage. So <laughs> just don't put this card on your deck, I think is really the best best advice we can give. All right. Demerits have been handed out. Yeah, we'll see you after class, everybody. Ooh. All right, so last thing here we want to do just before we uh, close out the episode is to revisit the top comments for each college, right? We did we outlined this in the crash course episode as we as we alluded to, we were pretty off on a lot of these and and we've come to, you know, I I made a, a cursory list here initially and then Ben looked it over and shockingly, we were mostly in agreement, right? We sort of had to suss out a little bit of order here and there, but largely we were in agreement here. And so the way we framed this is first up Lessons were not allowed on this list, right? We we know from last week, lessons are really high picks and are mostly at the top of each of these lists. So we'll we'll touch on the couple of lessons that we think are most important for the college um, and assuming that these are, are at the top of the list of where we're going to pick them. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that these cards are listed in their level of importance to the deck once you know you are in the deck, but not necessarily like a pack one, pick one order at all. Like this is not our ordering of these commons in terms of power level or when we were picking them. But once you are drafting Silver Quill, like 
these are the cards that you want in this order for Silver Quill. Yeah. So, you know, I think we've touched a lot on whatever our top 10 commons in the set, and those are largely comprised of lessons and, you know, like the best removal spells, whatever. And and so I thought it was more important that we talk about, you know, once you know you're in the deck or or what are the cards that are important to this archetype. And I think that will be more helpful in terms of framing the archetype for our listeners. So let's let's start off with Silver Quill. What's going on there? Yeah. So the lessons you want the most in Silver Quill are Inkling Summoning and Expanded Anatomy. And then our top commons list. Number one slot, we've got Combat Professor. Number two, we've got Silver Quill Pledge Mage. Number three, Guiding Voice. Number four, Study Break. And number five, Rise of Extus. And, you know, <laughs> when we were talking, I was thinking, you know, hey, I really want Rise of Extus in the number two slot. But then when Ethan framed it as, well, in Silver Quill, you really want one, maybe two of this card at the top of the curve, and you'd way more rather have, you know, three, four Silver Quill Pledge Mages. That made way more sense to me. So again, that's just an example of how we're framing it as what the college wants, not necessarily pack one, pick one order, because you're always pack one, pick one Rise of Extus. Right, exactly. So, you know, you want, we've got the two great threats at the top there, the two great learn spells, the cheap learn spells, that is, and then the great removal learn spell um, in Rise. And then a couple honorable mentions in Arrogant Poet and Hunt for Specimens, which are just two really strong two drops for the deck as well. Moving on to Witherbloom, summonings, uh, lessons that are most important, fractal summoning and inkling summoning. It was a little awkward here. This was the hardest one, I think, for us to feel like, what's the second best? Because it's not really pest summoning for Witherbloom. I think inkling summoning still gets the nod here. Yeah, and I don't think you particularly, and honestly, it's probably environmental sciences, but we also made a rule that we weren't allowed to put (laughs) environmental sciences. Because that would be on everybody's list, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so number one here uh, for Witherbloom Commons, we've got Hunt for Specimens. Number two, Rise of Extus. Number three, Mage Hunter's Onslaught. And number four, Field Trip. And number five, Mage Duel. And and this may surprise some folks because I think in our general list of top commons, Mage Duel is ahead of Field Trip. But Black Green, as you can see, with Rise and Mage Hunter's Onslaught ahead, already have better removal options at common that I think then the good learn spell and field trip gets the bump. And honestly, I could see, you know, some of these other honorable mention cards overtaking Mage Duel as well. So honorable mentions, we've got Specter of the Fens, Cram Session, Witherbloom Pledge Mage, and Blood Researcher. And this is how high I am on Cram Session that I was in our conversation yesterday. I was like, can we get Cram Session in the top five? <laughs> like, listen, I could be convinced. I know it could it could be better than Mage Duel in this deck. I don't know. Uh, next up, we've got Quandrix. So obviously the top uh, two lessons there are fractal summoning and elemental summoning and then coming in at number one for quandrix is baryon books number two mage duel number three field trip number four quandrix pledge mage and number five scurred colony and it's, it's interesting here right that quandrix is just a little bit more straightforward than the others it's just like all right the two removal spells the learn spells and then like the cheap threats yeah and i think you know as far as honorable mentions arcane subtraction Needlethorn Drake is another premium defensive two drop, and then Eureka Moment and Pop Quiz for some card advantage. Mm-hmm. Moving on to Prismari, same two summonings, uh, Fractal and Elemental Summoning for Prismari as for Quandrix. Yeah, and then again, number one, Baryon Books. Number two, Heated Debate. Number three, Prismari Pledge Mage as a nod to just like there not being a lot of good twos and this being a good uh, threat for the aggro decks and a good roadblock for the big spell decks. Number four, Spectacle Mage is a way to make Baryon books cheaper and maybe some of those other cards as well. 
Yeah, and then not super confident about number five. We got pop quiz here for now. It, it's interesting, the discussion between pop quiz and arcane subtraction for me in, in the blue decks, Ben, because I like pop quiz as a more consistent way to, to learn, right? It's always going to do the thing. Arcane subtraction obviously has a, a, a sort of higher ceiling and is cheaper, but it's not really a two drop, though there are times, right, when like your opponent plays a two drop and you just cycle this a little bit on two to go find a lesson. So I, I feel like pop quiz edges out subtraction but they they do unique enough things that the conversation between the two is interesting yeah i agree and then as far as other honorable mentions we got frost trickster and elemental masterpiece lastly uh looking at lorehold again expanded anatomy plus inkling summoning being the lessons of choice and we should mention i think in our minds in lorehold and silver quill this is a deck where the lessons are redundant, right? You just want as many anatomies and inkling summonings as you can get your hands on. And then the other three decks, I think, really are much more interested in toolbox lesson suites, right? Once you get the first fractal summoning, the second one is much less important. Uh, and, and the same is true for all the other lessons, I think. Yep. Agree. So in the number one slot in lower hold, we've got Combat Professor again. Uh, number two, Heated Debate. Number three, Guiding Voice. Number four, Study Break. And at number five, Enthusiastic Study. And then some honorable mentions here. Uh, not a ton, but we've got Pilgrim of the Ages, Illustrious Historian, Lorehold Pledge Mage, and a card that has really impressed me recently, Pillar Drop Rescuer. Yeah, card does work. It's kind of a grown test card, especially if you're getting back a really good two or three drop, like Professor of Symbology or something. Well, there's also all of these like random MDFC rares that it can get back, right? Like the the two, three dog, with which also has like Luca as the backside planeswalker, that sort of thing. Like it gets back back some really powerful things that then you can play as not just their front face. Yeah, I agree. And I think it is true that Lorehold, you know, is guiding voice study break enthusiastic study. And you just fill it out with whatever two and three drop creatures you get. But it is very much about like augmenting your creatures and pushing damage with those those learn cards. Yeah, I mean, that, that does seem to be how the format is shaken out. As you said, white aggressive decks and then uh, teamer value decks, whatever, however those are, are shaped for you. And then Witherbloom is just sort of, I don't know, still still trying to figure out what it wants to do, I think, in my mind. Yep. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Speaking of gold stars, Salty Pretzel, gold star. Big gold star for Salty Pretzels. Big gold star to our sponsor, ChannelFireball.com. Thank you so much for sponsoring our show. If you're heading over to Channel Fireball for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. It's also spelled out on our hand. He's at Mr. Metronome on Twitter. I'm at Lord Tupperware on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.